Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Here's Rudy through the middle of the lane, lays it up with a finger roll scoop. The Big Dipper from the rafters, nodding in approval. Royce has got Bogdanovich trailing, hands it to him. Underhand scoop, lob to Rudy. Oh, he packed it with the right hand after going, go, go, gadget arm to get it. 10-0 run by the Jazz. Ingles in transition for three. Pow! And Joe holds the pose, saying, don't you know, I'm 50% from three. I'm the greatest shooter in the world, saying Steph Curry. And I can bury anything. Joe, step back three straight away. Hit to his right, stepping back and burying it. Joe Ingles is something else right now, and he's got four threes. And the Utah Jazz beat the Lakers 111-97. to Joe Ingles hit five of his eight three-pointers, had the five assists and the four boards, finished with 21 points and helped the Jazz get the win. And PK, he keeps getting better. He just keeps blowing your mind. Yeah, I really wish that uh, today was Thursday because first thing I would do is tell Joe, uh, either you rip up the contract or I walk because he's underpaid. He already doesn't know what to do with all the money. Not the point. That's his problem. It's status and respect. Yeah, yeah. It's not about the money, Dave. Where you've been all these years. Well, it is about the money. But it's also <laughs> about the respect. Yeah, exactly, but, but man. Respect. <laughs> respect equals money. That's It's way more about... It's never about the money. Haven't you heard me say that? Mm, I don't recall. It's always about the money. Well, you need to jar your memory. Oh, man, this guy's incredible. Who thought he would be this good? Raise your hand. If you raise your hand right now, you are a liar. Liar! I had to readjust my expectations for him multiple times, and we will get to that coming up in the next, uh, I don't know, hour or so, because we got uh, Dane Brugler, NFL draft analyst, at 7.30. It's the question of the day. A lot of people are weighing in on Facebook. We get it up on Twitter, too. But I have recalibrated my expectations for Joe several times as we've seen him improve. Like, okay, well, now he's the fourth wing guy. No, he could be the third wing guy. Wow, if this guy starts and finishes games, I'd be okay with that. Too. Everybody get out of Dave. Joe's way. Everybody. I mean, I think the... The obvious question is, what do you think the Jazz can get for Mitchell? Ha! <laughs> What's an all-star worth, PK? 15 to 20 points, Gobert and Conley come back, and the Jazz go from playing an overtime game with the Lakers to up by 10 at the half, up by 20 after three, really up by 20 for most of the second half. That was, that was about as comfortable a road win as you're ever going to see. That was nice. An 8 o'clock start. Let me go to bed a little early. Appreciate that. No reason to be playing an overtime game on an 8 o'clock start. It's not very considerate for your morning radio hosts. No. Jazz get the win. Schedule really lightening up now. They're going to play the next three games against the two worst teams in the West. No back-to-backs. 
through this next week or so. They are good to go. Jazz will play the Rockets in Houston tomorrow night. They are now the worst team in the West. Tip-off set for 6 o'clock. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Hashtag NBA. Barton to Jokic, three. Yes! Got it again! Denver's back in the lead by three. Timeout, Memphis. Draymond screens for Steph. Steph launches a three. Got it! Topside triple ties the game at 86. Steph now with 32. And that's 11 straight games of 30 or more for Steph Curry. Booker gets it. Three dribbles. Bends. Shoots. Missed it off the rim. P.J. Tucker the rebound. He'll throw it. It won't get anywhere near the rim. And that'll do it. The Suns win in overtime. 128-127. The final from Milwaukee. Phoenix starts the five-game road trip. On the right foot. No question about it. Suns beat the Bucs 128-127. Devin Booker going to the line to make the winning free throw right there at the end of the game in the final couple of seconds. And the Suns, it's a five-game trip. They're playing five of the top six in the East, but they beat the Bucks. And PK I was watching the um, I was I was watching the Jazz game, and I went to another room to do the post-game zoom. And I came back. I'd left the TV on, and I came back to the TV, and Tim Legler from ESPN was just scorching the Bucks. Anson Kempo's not an ISO player. I know he's your best player, and you're supposed to ISO your best player, but that's not who he is. And if they do this, they're going to keep losing. If they do this in a postseason, they will get beat. So definitive. But they kept playing the video of him tripping over his own feet as he tried to make a move. And the defense was playing five or six feet off him. Go ahead. Shoot that three-pointer. We hope you do. Well, uh, they've lost five games at home in a row now. I mean, they're just not as good as their people think, or some people anyway. I never thought it was. And he, he actually cramped up mm-hmm. at the combo, so he wasn't in there at the end. Uh, P.J. Tucker, uh, a foul. The, th- the thing that I didn't like about the foul is that the Suns had nothing going on that possession. Uh, Booker was just sort of stumbling around at the, above the uh, three-point line and then just ran to his right and... Tucker, I guess, and grazed him. Uh, it was a bailout, and so the lady ref called it, and I've heard comments about her and whatnot and all that stuff. So, But, yeah, Milwaukee, it's Milwaukee is who Milwaukee is. I mean, I don't really take them seriously So, as far as a contender. So you can go whichever room you want to go in, and they're, they're still not going to be any good as far as being able to win it all, as far as I'm concerned. Other games that uh, caught everybody's attention. You heard the Nuggets beating the Grizzlies, 139-137. Jokic goes for 47 points, 15 rebounds, 8 assists. He's hitting big shots late. Memphis had a chance to win that game, and John Morant got caught in the air and threw the ball off the backboard to himself and tried to volley it in. That would have been spectacular if he pulled it off, but it was pretty awkward looking. So they get beat, and the Nuggets win again, and Jokic piling up more MVP votes, I suppose. That was pretty impressive. Well, yeah, the big thing here is they're 3-0 without Murray. And the Warriors go into Philadelphia and win 107-96. Steph Curry, 49 points, 10 three-pointers, shooting ridiculous stuff. Whoever MB defended, they put him into the pick and roll, and he didn't want to come out on Curry. Normally he'd had much of a chance if he came out on Curry, but at least he could have changed Curry's three-pointers into two-pointers, but Curry kept throwing in threes, and the Warriors get the win. 
Yeah, he's on a marvelous run. I mean, there's just no doubt about it, man. He's taking his team, putting it on his back as a little player, and it's really cool to see because he's so, so awesome with the shooting, man. He's just, just incredible. I mean, just amazing. And the one other thing, he doesn't have it on here as far as I can see on the rundown. But the Celtics, who we anointed as being able to uh, make a comeback, lose to the Bulls. The Bulls don't have Levine. And they were in Boston, and it was just a pathetic game by yep. the uh, Celtics. Vucevic went for 29-9 and in that game. They could not control him at all, and the Bulls win 102-96. LaMelo Ball has been cleared to resume uh, individual basketball activity. He had a CT scan on his fractured right wrist, shows it's healed. He could be ready to play again in 7-10 to 10 days. The rest of the injury news, Anthony Davis could be back in their lineup as early as Thursday. they got to practice Wednesday. He's missed 30 games. LeBron James still, quote-unquote, weeks away. And Houston Rockets forward Sterling Brown suffered facial lacerations during an assault Sunday night. In a statement Monday, the Rockets said Brown had no prior knowledge or of or interaction with the assailants. He's expected to make a full recovery after reportedly getting assaulted with a bottle outside a nightclub. Might no, bring up the question from the, the NBA, here? what's he doing in a nightclub? Uh, now, well, he was outside a nightclub. Doesn't say he was in a nightclub. Uh, but uh, he better have worn his mask. Your guy says we still got to wear a mask. So uh, he, he, as long as he's got his mask on, I guess. Uh, and, I don't know what the rules are anymore. I don't think he's supposed to be in a nightclub. And sure, he, I guess theoretically he could have just been walking past a nightclub. I don't know. I only know what the facts here that are listed. I, can't, I don't assume any facts. If you don't assume facts. Facts are not something that are assumed. That they're either a fact or they're not. So maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But I'm not going to assume it. DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. So Jalen Suggs is off to the NBA as we expected. And Gonzaga just goes out and gets the top overall recruit, Chet Holmgren announces he will play for Gonzaga. And PK, the question is, now that Gonzaga is a full-blown power program, recruiting one and done from the top player in the NBA, will they suffer some of the the same fate and some of the same highs and lows that other programs that have relied on one and dones? And we've seen uh, we've seen issues at Kentucky, Duke, Arizona, and probably leaving schools off the list, but we've seen them all have some success with one-and-dones and also have uh, just brutal, awkward failures with one-and-dones. Who's the top player in the NBA that they're getting? Or are they the losing top recruit? Suggs, the top player? They're getting oh. Chet Holmgren. He's the top overall recruit in 2021. Suggs well, is going to be, I don't know what Suggs is going to be. No, Suggs will be two, three, or four in the NBA draft. I would take him one, man. I love his game. Absolutely love his game. Now, because they're in the conference of BYU and I'm more interested in them than Cunningham was over at Oklahoma State. I've seen him play a million times. I absolutely love his game. It's going to be so fun to watch him over the next 15 years to see how good he could be. Uh, but uh, so depends on how they handle it, you know. If uh, they just go exclusively with the one-and-dones and the majority of their players are one-and-dones, then they're probably going to have a problem or two along the way. But they have other transfers that they bring into the program. And, and so I don't think they're going to go away from that. I mean, you look in Kentucky, it's like Kentucky's exclusively a one-and-donner. And Arizona's top players that they just give the ball to and let them take over. And then obviously they've had other issues there at Arizona. And I don't know that Gonzaga's going to have them. But if he goes away from the model, 
then it could be a problem. But I don't know if he's going to go away from the transfer international model. Now, Tommy Lloyd was the guy who was had the connections and the uh, international players, and he's in Tucson now. So there's other issues there besides the one and done, potentially. But I still expect them to be good for the next five years, and that puts a few at, like, 63. Maybe at that point, we'll see. And then there's the story of Charlie Moore. Who is Charlie Moore? He is breaking new ground as far as Catcher I can tell, the PK. Brewers, isn't he? he started at Cal. He transferred to Kansas. Then he transferred to Paul. Dave had a coaching change, as did Cal. And he's leaving to Paul to go to Miami. So now we got college basketball players. Thanks to the new NCAA transfer rule, you can play for a fourth school, and Charlie Moore is doing it. Write his name down, PK. The future. Four years, four schools. Of course, this is he also the first time that pandemic. I've heard of Ch- Charlie Moore, and probably the last time I hear hmm. of Charlie Moore. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Obviously a great player. Dealt with adversity throughout his career and always seemed to come on come on top and uh, be the better from it. And uh, someone that he's dealt with different coaches, he's dealt with different systems, and, he, and he's always had success. And then obviously with the injury that he had, uh, to be able to come back and lead his team into the playoffs to show the type of man that he is, the type of team player that he is. And and uh, I'm just grateful for the time that I had with him that, that really developed me to be the quarterback that I am today. That's Patrick Mahomes talking about Alex Smith. Alex Smith, the former U quarterback, retiring yesterday. The news broke late in our show yesterday. And, of course, Patrick Mahomes was a teammate of his in Kansas City as his rookie year. He watched Smith and then took over the team as uh, Smith got – Got moved on to Washington there. Mahomes was uh, speaking. He, he had uh, surgery for his turf toe. Says he's ahead of schedule in his recovery. So, able to update us on his health and uh, give a little salute to Alex Smith at the same time. Yeah, that's a nice tribute. Uh, Mahomes, I think it's the, time to oh. s- step aside for Lee Grosscup and move Alex Smith into the greatest youth football player. <laughs> Famous youth quarterbacks. Pick your favorite decade. Mahomes, by the way, recently went to the Masters in Augusta, said he's now done using a protective boot. I'd like to be at the Masters in a protective boot going up and down those hills. A little awkward. Uh, it's better than not being. He said he shed it before that. Though. Oh, he did have it. He's he able to move it. around pretty freely, he said. Get me to the Masters. I'll wear uh, a, <laughs> uh, a wrap all the way around and it's just my eyes. That'd be good enough. Green Bay Packers reportedly telling their players that the first first month of spring team activities, the OTAs, will be virtual. They'll reconsider in-person activities uh, before they get into phase two of their offseason program in mid-May. Total of 19 Packer players have more than $5 million at stake by participating in the majority of the franchise's offseason workouts and sessions. Got some bonuses built in to make sure you show up for work. Good gig. Yeah. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. DeYoung at the plate and the pitch. That ball is hit high in the air to left field. It's back to the track, to the wall. Slammer! Paul DeYoung has hit his second home run of the game. A big fly. Paul DeYoung and the Cardinals tack on four more. Giolito deals, and there's a drive. Left field. It's high. It's deep, and it is way back, and it is long gone. It comes down off the National Car Rental side, almost out of the yard, and the Red Sox lead it 7-1. to one. J.D. with number six. 
Here's a swing and a drive deep into the gap in left center field, and this one is going and going and goodbye baseball. Taylor Trammell with an opposite field home run out to the pen. Taylor Trammell with a homer there. The Mariners beat the Dodgers 4-3. Padres lost to the Brewers 3-1. It's a letdown PK after all the emotion of the series. How do those two teams both get beat? Well, they're going to lose 60-some times or 50-some times this year, so that's what I chalk it up to. That's uh, that's the old Tommy Lasorda. Everybody loses 50, everybody wins 50. What do you do with the other 62? Musgrove, who threw the no-hitter, came back for the Padres, and he was striking people out left and right, but he gave up a couple homers, and the Brewers got that win. The uh, Mariners tied for the top record in the American League after that win over the Dodgers. Seattle off to a good start. And the Boston Red Sox off to a great start. They route the Chicago White Sox 11-4. Red Sox 11-6 now. And you were just talking about the Yankees, and they're off to this bad start, kind of floundering around. They were supposed to be the best team in the American League, the only team in the American League that's supposed to be on par with the Dodgers and the Padres. And Brian Cashman. How did you determine that? You've said that many times. Odds makers you come up with the, that? The oddsmakers in <laughs> Vegas. That's where they established the odds. The people are putting money down. The only okay. thing you care about. All right, good for you. And G and GM Brian Cashman, you just were saying yesterday, man, if George Steinbrenner were alive and in his prime, he'd have fired a manager by now. He might have fired two. But Cashman says the team will not overreact to their five and ten start. It's a new era, PK. Get used to it. Because we got the pinstripes. We're not firing the manager. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Andy Bailey, NBA analyst, writer for Bleacher Report, here to talk jazz and NBA at 9 o'clock. Dane Brugler. NFL Draft Analyst for The Athletic will join us next. Stay with us on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotting and The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, The Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by Dane Brugler, NFL Draft Analyst for The Athletic. Dane, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you doing today? Good. We are uh, constantly amazed by all the love being thrown, not just to the top two quarterbacks, not just to the local guy out of BYU, but five quarterbacks at the top of the draft. And you can go through the history of the NFL draft, and you can find guys who came in in the first round and were totally worth a pick. And they were great for their team, and their team won a lot, in some cases won Super Bowls because of them. But you also see a bunch of busts up there. At any point, do you step back, look big picture, and think, Wow, if five of the first nine picks, or whatever it turns out to be, are first-round picks, there are some teams completely setting themselves up for Bustville here because there's no way all these guys are going to work out. Yeah, you know, and that's 
that's what history tells us. You know, no matter how confident we are in these evaluations, uh, you know, history tells us that of these five quarterbacks, uh, at least two of them will not live up to expectations. And, you know, it's so much depends on landing spot. So much depends on development or lack thereof, you know, the coaching, the supporting cast. So, uh, you know, it, it's something where you just, you know, the, all these quarterbacks are talented. There's no, there's no question about that. But when you go to the NFL, there's so much, so many more variables involved. First of all, just with college football, the NFL, two, two different sports. Um, and then when you're in a locker room with 30 year old veterans who, you know, are talking about, uh, you know, their, uh, their contract situation, this and that, it's just, it, it's tough for some of these young guys to step into that type of role and, and produce early on. So, it, 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 the, where they end up is going to hopefully, you know, it, it's going to be a good spot for them, both personality-wise and play-wise. But, yeah, like you said, I mean, history tells us that, uh, you know, that some of these guys aren't going to work out. But if you're the team, you have to you have to take a chance. You know, at least I, I want to swing. Uh, I, I want my chance at bat. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But I'm going to bet on high-end traits. I'm going to bet on guys with, uh, you know, a lot of the, you know, check the boxes and – let the chips fall where they may. It's, a, it's such a tough position to evaluate because there are just so many factors that go into, uh, you know, who's going to succeed and who's not at the next level. And if we're going to go by history, uh, we're also going to find that there's plenty of quarterbacks who didn't go in the first round and end up being very good. And obviously Wilson and Prescott come to mind here, and I'm sure if I went down rosters, I'd find somebody else, but those two come to me off the top of my head. Beyond these guys that are potential first-round quarterbacks, who do you like that maybe could be what we would consider a sleeper? Yeah, once we get outside the top five quarterbacks, one, to me, really stands out as being, okay, I can see this guy starting in the league for a long time, uh, and that's Davis Mills out of Stanford, uh, former five-star recruit out of high school. Uh, really, it just comes down to two areas that you're worried with him. Uh, the left knee, which has been an issue for him since high school, and then the resume, only 11 career starts. And so, it, it, you, obviously, that comes down to the medicals. And it, as long as the training staff gives me two thumbs up saying, you know, he could re-injure it, but, you know, it's, it's stable right now. And, you know, there's, there's no long-term effects here. Then I'm feeling good about Davis Mills bringing him into my organization, developing him, and seeing what we can have long-term. 6'4", 220 pounds. He might be the best middle-of-the-field thrower in this draft. Uh, he's a loose passer, uh, so he can move around a little bit. Not uh, not afraid to test those small windows. A uh, very confident thrower. So with Davis Mills, I think there's a lot of traits that you're willing to bet on once you get to you know outside the first round. It just comes down to uh, you know making sure you're comfortable with the, the durability factor, and then just uh, you know the the lack of resume, the fact that he's going to need some time before he's ready for NFL snaps. How much, if any, stock do you put in the line of thinking that if you're the Niners and you have George Kittle, well, don't worry about drafting quarterback. Go get Pitts. Those two together are going to make a lot of quarterbacks look really good. You buy any of that thought line of thought? Uh, I mean, yes and no, because selfishly, I, I, I'm here for it. I want to see it. You know, it would just be a fun from a you know, football viewing perspective. That would be a ton of fun. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, you look at the 49ers uh, last year, you know, coming off a Super Bowl appearance and the inconsistency at quarterback, it just, you know, it was a deal breaker and the 49ers weren't able to compete. 
So you have to get the quarterback right. And, you know, they, they traded all that draft capital to get up to number three to draft the quarterback. And it'll be interesting to see which one. I think we're kind of, you know, we're nine days out and we're still guessing. Um, and I don't think this is a situation where the 49ers are smoke screening or being coy. I mean, they don't need to be because we know who the first two picks are going to be. At least we feel very, very strongly that Trevor Lawrence will be going to the Jacksonville Jaguars, Zach Wilson to the New York Jets. So for the 49ers, it's more about due diligence. Uh, they were at Trey Lance's pro day yesterday in Fargo, uh, the week prior uh, with Justin Fields, the week prior uh, with Matt Jones. And so they traded up to number three with a specific quarterback in mind. And then did anything happen these last three weeks to change your mind at all? I, I think they're just they're keeping an open mind through the process. We don't know. And that's what we're kind of waiting to find out. Maybe we'll you know, get some clues here over the final nine days. But the draft starts at number three, and we're still kind of guessing who that's going to be. And that's going to create a domino effect because whoever, depending on who goes three, that's going to affect what the Falcons do at four, whether they go quarterback, whether they go best non-quarterback, which we think is Kyle Pitts. Uh, do they trade out of there if the right quarterback's available and we have a quarterback desperate team willing to uh, you know, throw a lot of draft capital at Atlanta to get up to that number four pick? So a lot of intrigue, and it all revolves around what San Francisco does at number three. How much stock do you think the NFL puts into college competition? You know, it's all relative, um, you know, because I think you, you look at, uh, you know, teams playing in the SEC and uh, the talent they have around them. I mean, Justin Fields, uh, you know, having the talent that he had at Ohio State, Matt Jones, the talent that he had at Alabama. Yeah, they're facing better defenses, but they also have better talent around them. Uh, you look at Trey Lance, who, yeah, he faced FCS competition, but he's not really playing with a lot of guys that have NFL future. Uh, you know, the left tackle has a future, uh, NFL future, and then maybe one of those wide receivers has a shot. But for the most part, you're playing with uh, guys that aren't, aren't going to be professional football players. And I mean, even Zach Wilson, you know, we look at, uh, you know, Brady Christensen has a chance to be a top 100 draft pick at left tackle, but Dax Milne's more of a late round prospect. Um, you know, the, the two guards, Herring and Hodge, and, maybe late-round prospects. So, you know, Zach Wilson did not face the high level of competition that, you know, you would see in the SEC or some other conferences. But at the same time, even though he's playing with a strong supporting cast, he's playing with a good run game, played with a strong offensive line, uh, you know, his targets were, were good players. They're not, you know, NFL quality, for the most part, NFL high-end players. And so I think it's all relative, and that, that goes into the thinking when you're evaluating these quarterbacks. All right, so now, Dane, now we're just going to have you step right into it, okay? We've got a lot of BYU and Utah fans listening. The BYU fans think the Jets are about to do the right thing. Zach's going to go have a ton of success and make them proud, and this is going to be great, and the Jets are going to break through. There's a long line of Ute fans listening right now who are pretty sure that he is uh, undersized. He's had injury issues, although he's healthy this year. He's going to get beat up in the NFL. He's going to be uh, revealed because he didn't play elite competition this year. And plus, it's the Jets, and they're going to screw up around him. Who's right? Yeah. Ute fans or Cougar <laughs> fans? How's this going to play out? Well, I, I think just, just focusing on the player, um, I'm a big Zach Wilson fan. Uh, and and I, I've been bullish on that since the fall. Um, you know, I took a lot of heat in my first mock draft back in November. I put Wilson at number two, and people just went nuts. And uh, but I mean, here we are. I think it's become the you know accepted as that's what's going to happen. 
And I think he's just an easy player to like when you, you watch the off-platform throws, the natural accuracy, the way he can char- change his arm angles and not sacrifice velocity or ball placement. Um, he's a sharp kid. He's athletic. Uh, you know, there, are there things he needs to work on? Yeah, absolutely. He's 21 years old. Um, you know, in terms of escaping the pocket before he needs to, or uh, just just the way he you know reads certain defenses um, from certain alignments. I mean, there, there are certain things he needs to get better at, but that's nothing that's you know uncommon for a true junior quarterback. Uh, do you wish he were bigger? Yeah, I, I wish he was six five and you know two thirty and still moved the way he did. But you know, it's, this is not uh, realistic. Uh, you know, six two two fifteen is decent size and you know good enough to to make it at the next level uh you know plenty of quarterbacks that size or even smaller have found success so um you know it's being smart with your body and staying durable that's something that's hard to predict um going to the jets where offensive line has not been a strength for that team i think it's on the upswing mckay beckton at left tackle is one of the best young left tackles in the league uh you know they have five picks in the first three rounds they're going to invest in the offensive line uh, more and more. Uh, and I think when you look at the Jets with a new head coach coming in, Robert Sala, um, you know, he's a player's coach, um, you know, with the LaFleur offensive coordinator, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a system in a Shanahan mold, which fits uh, Zach Wilson very well. And uh, the uh, general manager, Joe Douglas, in his second year, I think they're headed in the right direction. So as long as ownership doesn't get in the way, the Jets could be turning the page here. I don't think that's crazy to think that when you look at the general manager, the head coach, and the potential of Zach Wilson and the potential of this roster of what they're putting around him. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to see how this plays out uh, for both Wilson and the Jets because you know there's definitely a path to success when you break it all down on paper and how it could play out. Yeah, let's hear it for Broadway Zach, huh? Going forward, maybe that'll happen. <laughs> uh, you know, one of, one of the things that we've seen is these these individual coaches, particularly at the quarterback position, been getting a lot of run. And John Beck's a former BYU mm-hmm. quarterback, and he's running these camps down in Southern California. He seems to be everywhere from going to pro days in Florida to being on podcasts. He talked about, I served him on a Peter King one where he talked about when he gets off the field mid-morning or late morning, early afternoon, whatever it is, he's got dozens and dozens of messages waiting for him. Uh, how much do you think that the NFL people are relying on these types of men who are involved in this training to help them with their selections? I don't know that they're relying necessarily, but it is a resource. Um, you know, because NFL teams, there's no such thing as too much information. You want to get all the relevant info and you know it, it could be tough because obviously you know quarterback coaches are a little biased you know how, how truthful are they really going to be with you about a player's strength and weaknesses and even like a player like john or a coach like john beck who you know he's been through the process being a high level college player and then being a drastic being in the nfl and he's coaching multiple quarterbacks in this class it's not like it's just one so it's multiple so is he going to feel comfortable really being honest about where, uh, you know, some of these guys need to improve, where their shortcomings are as players. Um, I, you know, that's where it gets a little tough. It's a little and, – and, you know, it's, it, that happens at every school around the, around the country. Teams know which coaches are being honest with them and which are just going to pump up their players. And that's, that, that's part of it. And, you know, I don't, I don't know, John Beck, whether or not – you know, because he's not going to necessarily say that publicly, but how he talks with NFL teams – 
you know, it, it's that we just we're not sure. We're, we don't know that part of it, and that's something that NFL teams, if you know, if they feel like he's being honest and he's willing to say, hey, this is where you know Justin Fields he needs to get better. This is this area, or he's not going to make it. Things like that. It, you know, then they're going to take that. They're going to you know take that into account and see if it matches up with what they're seeing as well. But you know, the quarterback position, there's so many variables that go into success and failure at the NFL level. It's it, it, it's the hardest position to evaluate. So the more information you can get from all these different resources, people that have spent time with the players, understand their psyche a little bit, both on and off the field, you you take all that into account and, and try to figure it out, come to the best conclusion. So I'm curious what you think the Patriots are going to do, if they're going to go with Cam Newton or if they're setting up another move here. I've seen plenty of speculation. I think they're 15, but I've seen people saying, oh, they can get to 10 if they want a quarterback and make a deal with the Cowboys. And in, and if the five quarterbacks go in the top nine, A, does one of them slip one more spot to them? Or once you're 10, you can get to eight anyway and make another deal. What is Belichick doing? Does anybody have any idea? Or, you know, he's basically the, the CIA or FBI of the NFL, and nobody knows. Well, you know, I, I think that when you look at uh, the track record, they, Bill Belichick and his, you know, 25 years or so of being a head coach and, and, you know, a top decision maker for a team, his teams have only drafted a quarterback in the first two rounds once, and that was Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, and so it's just... When you think about it, though, he's had Tom Brady for, like, what, 20 of those years? So I don't know that necessarily is a big enough sample size for us to make a determination about whether or not he's going to take a quarterback early or whether or not he's going to be aggressive to get that quarterback. I think that he spent the last year uh, looking at that offense and how stagnant it could be at times. And, you know, they they brought Cam Newton back as – I think that you know that's that's your insurance. That's you know that, that's probably the best we could do in terms of free agency, in terms of trades. Uh, just bring Cam Newton back, and then you know we're going to draft a young guy. But you know which young guy is it? it do they have? And, and it's also fair to point out that not all of these teams love all five quarterbacks. You know, Bill Belichick and the Patriots they might love two of these guys or three of these guys. The Patriot or the Panthers at number eight overall. Once uh, it became clear in their minds that Lawrence was going one, Wilson was going two, they said, eh, we don't really love these other guys. We're going to go get Sam Darnold. And, you know, that's going to be part of our figure-it-out situation uh, at quarterback in Carolina. So not all these teams love all these players. And the Patriots, it's hard to know. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. If the right player were to slip to maybe, say, seven in Detroit or eight in Carolina – nine Denver that maybe we see a a trade and maybe not even just the Patriots you had Washington some of these other teams so it's going to be really interesting you know quarterbacks maybe one two three four which you've never seen before and then where does that fifth quarterback land do we see a big trade up which team does it it's really going to be fascinating on draft line well Dane we appreciate the time and a few thoughts on the draft it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out thanks for hopping on the show with us Anytime. Take care, guys. Dane Brugler, you read him. He's the NFL draft analyst for The Athletic. DJ and PK, the question of the day coming up. All of you reacting to the Jazz win and Joe Ingles' performance, and we will do that next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Sean Devaney, NBA editor for Heavy.com, also contributes to Forbes Sports. Is there value in being the number one seed for the Jazz? 
Should that be a goal of theirs to end the year? I think 26-3 and three is a pretty good sample size. <laughs> you, know, yeah. that, you know, even though it's not the same, you know, there's obviously a comfort level there and, and teams don't like going there. So no question that whatever it is, Utah has a big advantage at home and they absolutely need to do what they need to do to, again, you balance it against. We, we've got to make sure these guys are rested. We've got to make sure that we're not putting anybody at risk. But I do think of any team in, in either conference, really, that Utah is a team that should really kind of keep its focus on that number one seed. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes or Toast is brought to you by Jerry Seiner Cadillac. Check out the bold new lineup at Jerry Seiner Cadillac. It's definitely not your grandpa's Cadillac. Question of the day. Who here thought Joe Ingles could be this good? Admit it. There's no way you did. I'll admit it. There's no chance I thought this guy would be running the offense. This guy would be hitting threes from everywhere. This guy should be closing games. This guy should be starting games. This guy's a nightmare in the pick and roll. There's multiple things that are true about Joe Ingles that I never believed. (laughs) There. Did I plead guilty enough for you, PK? Well, you listed a whole bunch of things, and I got a short-term memory. Did you list the three-point shooting proficiency? Yes, that's on. I never thought he'd shoot it. I guess of all the things he's pulled off, you know, for a player to come in and be pretty good at catching and shooting, but he's shooting off the dribble and and being this good. I mean, I thought he could be – somebody could have a knack to be a 40% shooter, and there's enough of them now that it's not – that surprising, but if you're going to start shooting 45% or better, that's absolutely surprising. Surprising. Uh, Didn't see it coming. Well, the thing about the shooting is I didn't really know because I knew nothing about him. So I didn't know, was he a three-point shooter and with his national team, was he a three-point shooter in the European Mm -hmm. competition that he played? I really didn't have any idea. Uh, the, The thing that really struck me I think it was uh, two years ago at Media Day, and they had it at the arena, and I'm in there, and I think it was when Justin Zanuck was elevated, so it wasn't this season. I think it was was either before last season or before the other season. I think it was before last season. And so Jay-Z and Dennis are sitting up there. Yeah, it was, because uh, when Joe came up, he was with Mike Conley, and this is Conley's obviously his second year. So it was the start of the prior season. And Dennis said, it really struck me because I had no background of Joe Ingles. Uh, He said that Joe has transformed him from a journeyman, for himself, from a journeyman overseas into a top 10 small forward. And I thought, man, you know, you would think that as well as, and this was last year, and he's having, I think he's having his best season this year. and it was before last season, so uh, I think it's his seventh year, so that would have been starting his sixth year. Uh, you would think if you were this good, you were more than a journeyman overseas. It's In my mind, it seems like, well, if you're a really good, like Doncic, okay, he's a star in the NBA. Well, he was a star from 14 on. And so you think that there would be some type of correlation from what he was doing in his prior uh, levels of competition would stand out in order to be a top 10 at your position in the NBA, you would think that the track record would be better. 
but a journeyman. And I remember specifically Dennis called him a journeyman. And I thought, man, this has been incredible improvement. And the gains that he's made while in the NBA is just an unbelievable story. Even if he was an, uh, an introvert and he didn't put himself out there with his kids and his wife. And I'm not sure I know anybody else's wife's name on the team. But yet I know about Renee. I feel like I've known Renee all my life because he talks about her a lot. And she's doing stuff in the community. They're active out there. You put that aside. That adds to the greatness of the story. It doesn't necessarily add to the greatness of the player. It adds to the greatness of this Hollywood-like story. Even if he was an introvert and we knew nothing about him and he did his interviews and he went home, he still would be a phenomenal story as a player. You combine that with all the stuff that he's done, and it's really just incredible. And there's just no way that I saw it. I, I didn't When I went after him and had my conversations, I... I just had happened to be with him a couple of times, and one time at a dinner when he's randomly placed at my table, and we got to be talking. I thought that a reason why I was attracted to him to get him on the radio is because I thought he was a good radio personality. I knew really nothing about the player. When you tack on the player, and it just blows my mind. Joe is now shooting 49% from three. And is the number one three-point shooter in the NBA. That goes beyond, uh, you know, he's a good three-point shooter. And then all the other stuff he does. It's yeah. it's shocking. It's he's more than surprising. a radio personality now. <laughs> yeah, I'd say. I think that's an understatement. Uh, Robert says, I believed he had something to prove. He just needed a real chance. Plus, he came from the city my sister and family lives in. Okay, that has nothing to do with it. <laughs> Lots of guys have something to prove, and they need a real chance. Well, I think everybody has something to prove. But that doesn't mean you're going to take off the way Joe has. Ron says simply, thank you, L.A. Clippers. Okay, but, uh, you know, there was a, he was a free agent, so the Clippers invited him. So thank you for inviting him to training camp. Thank you for because cutting I don't think him. He, yeah, I don't think he means that as a positive. No, I think there's some sarcasm there, and he's happy the Clippers cut him. Yeah, but they brought him to training camp. How about all these other teams? The Jazz had a connection. It's not like that connection all of a sudden materialized when he was cut by the Clippers. They took advantage of it at that point. Good for them. Great for them. Great move. Great move. Uh, this is this is right there with uh, drafting Millsap in the second round, maybe even better, as far as uh, that goes. Uh, plucking somebody out of obscurity, and Royce O'Neal belongs on that list too. And there's a ton of can go on and on with these guys, I mean, because they've been very good at that. Rudy Gobert, Mitchell, you name it, basically. And so getting this guy the way they did, I, I would look at thanks to the Clippers for bringing him over and making him a last cut. I wouldn't look at that as a negative. You would genuinely thank them for serving him up on a platter. Well, bringing him over and making him last, because if he's cut early, ah, man, the Clippers, they didn't even think he was good enough to, to extend the whole training camp. But he's cut late, if I recall the story, is they had an injury, they needed a player at another position or what have you. I don't remember exactly all the details now. So having him in training camp all that time, puts him out on the radar, and the Jazz go ahead and, and sign him. And thankfully, the Jazz sucked at the time. 
if they had their team now, say they had somebody like a Joe Ingles going into next year, and he gets cut, Jazz don't have any need for him. But the all the all the timing had to be there, and maybe you even throw in the the drafting of the young kid uh, Exum from Australia. It's it's same language, obviously, that they speak in Australia. Yeah, but he's still moving so, halfway around the world. The yeah, culture's and different. And he's a youngster to, mm-hmm. to a degree, and and maybe that played into it. I mean, I think that was overplayed. I think you're trying to make your team better, uh, but maybe that was something, even if it was a small part. Joe doesn't care. He's just thankful to stick. But it's not just about sticking in the NBA because he's done far more than stick in the NBA. It really is phenomenal. And there's just I'm right with you as far as shoulder to shoulder saying there's no way. He's doing step back threes now <laughs> and just not even doing any. And nobody's, hey, Joe Ingles made a step back three. Okay, yeah, all right. I've seen this. I've seen it a million times. It's just absolutely incredible. James says, I still remember Joe's first few games and me thinking the only reason we added him was to give Exum a bridge and some comfort for his transition. Sure. I would have laughed if anyone suggested Ingles would have a far better career than Exum. Boy, was I wrong. Ingles, Malone, Bell are my three favorite jazz players of all time. Ingles is probably number one. I love the guy. Ooh, I'm going to have a hard time going above Hornacek. I've got to have a one and one A there. Hornacek is uh, he's been my guy for a long time. He was my guy back in Phoenix, and I had I didn't have inter- I didn't have any interaction with him outside of uh, interviewer interviewee uh, until he actually came to Utah, and then I got to know him a little bit beyond that. Uh, but I had family who had interactions with him down in the valley, and the the quality of that dude is just sensational. And uh, so I think I still got to give a slight edge to, to Jeff there. Uh, but, Joe, we're, we're approaching dead heat category, and we're probably already there. You know, guys who have told you a lot about the NBA, and you have to be willing to put yourself out there, and these aren't the only two. But I wonder, uh, that's a summer topic sometime, 10 jazz not just players, because you got to take in other people in the organization, but 10 jazz people. Let's just go with that. 10 jazz people who've made you a smarter basketball fan or a smarter basketball media member in our cases, but I think for the whole fan base. Because these guys are willing to put themselves out there, talk about the game, talk about players, and they say stuff that we can't know, and they say it in a way that we know it and get us to think about stuff we didn't think about. I mean, both these guys have said so much about what it's like to play in the NBA, how you play, how you adjust, stuff that you and I didn't play in the NBA, you and I didn't come anywhere near playing in the NBA. So there's, there's just stuff to learn, and you got to appreciate those people who, who throw that stuff out there for you. Well, sure, yeah. Well, everything you said. All right, we got more people weighing in. Question of the day. And uh, people all over Facebook, who thought Joe Ingles could be this good? Admit it. No way you did. Tony says Joe plays for all slow dads of the past. We love Joe. And that drives me nuts. (laughs) I knew it would. The slow stuff. Get out of town, man. I mean, what's the John Wooden play fast but not in a hurry? Uh, there's, There's something to be said for what Joe does, the pace in which he plays. Plus, when he gets around the corner 
And, you know, it's not downhill. They like to say that. It's obviously not literal. But he gets up enough speed combined with his savvy and skill. It's not just savvy. It's skill. He's got high skill. You know, what does the defense do? Does it sag? Do you get weak side help? And then he throws to the corner, mm-hmm. which a lot of times, uh, depending on where it is, is in front of the team's bench. Uh, so you combine all those things. But you got to have the skill. You can be the brightest mind in the world and, and you end up being a Majerus. You have no game, but you're as smart as can be, and that's what I think Majerus was. I mean, his mind was incredible, but he'll tell you, he told you many times he had no game, uh, so you end up being a coach. Well, you can't just be smart. you got to be smart, and there's plenty of smart guys in the league. Uh, most of them are smart for that matter, uh, but you got to have the skill too. And, and if it was that slow – then it wouldn't be as effective. It wouldn't be effective as a, at all if it was slow. It may not be Russell Westbrook fast, I, or John Wall, or these speed demons up and down the floor. I get all that, but I, I think it's that that slow stuff. Uh, I think it's greatly exaggerated. I think it's greatly exaggerated, and I think there are a lot of coaches at multiple levels who have told players, "You go a hundred percent speed at the defensive end." But then you got to dial it down and go two-thirds or three-quarter speeds at, off- at the offensive end. You love baseball analogies, and it's a pitcher. you got to be able to change speeds. And that's what Joe does. And he's taking his time. And, and you got to give his teammates credit because the only reason that whole slow-mo Joe pick-and-roll into the lane oh, and that looping layup works is because they've spread the floor. And he's not getting the second and third defender coming at him from crazy angles because they're afraid to leave these guys. And that's partly because, obviously, he's a very good passer, too. And so he's got more time and space and just go slow and get you caught in no man's land. You know, get you commit to one or the other and then he'll beat you the other way. I mean, he's got Gobert to throw it to. You know, Gobert's going to finish most of these alley-oops, especially when he's in space with nobody around him. So, yeah, you got to credit all the team around him, but... The, you know, watch Steph Curry. Steph Curry isn't going a million miles an hour. He's getting guys into no man's land and making them pay. You know, It's the rare guy. Westbrook, he's a great example. John Morant's another. There are guys who can go 94 feet in the blink of an eye. But there's only a handful of guys who can do that, and that's not Joe's game. That's, that's not the game for a lot of really good offensive players. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, it's, it's not because... We're naming the fast players, right? And, yeah, and it's that's a small number, so that means everybody else is going on the, at the speed they go to succeed. Yep. All right, DJ PK, it's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The zone. We got more. Of you weighing in? Stay with us. Andy Bailey, NBA analyst and writer for the Bleacher Report, is here in an hour on ninety-seven five at twelve eighty. The zone.